0: Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia.
1: And I'm Ishani.
0: (laughs) This is episode 11, One Does Not Simply, finish Gandalf's bucket list. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse ahead. With that said, let's get into it.
2: welcome back um <laughs> I feel like I'm saying it to you guys now you are All right. yeah um the ring goes south hello everyone in this chapter the ring goes south um and we're not gonna we're gonna try not to go south in our podcast today uh, <laughs> as we discuss this chapter where it uh, <laughs> objectively objectively a lot happens but but not that much that is very deep um, so
0: <laughs> okay
2: yeah Get, the, um, uh, yeah tell
0: us what happened Wanda
2: <laughs> yeah okay all right um, so uh, so today in this chapter the fellowship is formed and takes off what we all noticed immediately was that the fellowship is not formed uh, by all of them kneeling one by one before Frodo at the Council of Elrond, it's formed by Elrond appointing them all, according to his whimsy. And it's sort of a, it's a weird kind of appointment. It's sort of a non-committal appointment, wouldn't you guys say?
1: Elrond twice mentions that the other members of the fellowship are free to go or not as they will. So he sort of voluntolds them, right, for this mission, but then yeah. It's not a binding commitment. He basically says everyone except the ring bearer can go as far as he is willing to go, but then if other things intervene or other things come up like you can leave without guilt.
0: It This is kind of like where I started to think about what is the difference in honor between being selected for something versus volunteering for it.
1: I was wondering something very different, I think. I was more wondering, what does that mean for, like, how we... I I guess maybe it's sort of a parallel question, right? How do we look at the heroism of characters who have the option to leave?
0: Although it does kind of put into perspective the breaking of the fellowship a little bit more, too where
1: mm-hmm.
0: they didn't, right? They didn't necessarily follow this through to the end, because if they had, they would have gone with Frodo.
1: And I guess that's kind of why, I like, I read that and I went, okay, from a technical standpoint, you're putting this in because you know that the fellowship is going to split up, and this way you're not painting any of those characters in a really negative light, like they're abandoning Frodo. It's sort of been excused already. And at the same time, mm. like, I think it sort of makes that occurrence happen in this really interesting context of they're not abandoning the journey. They have just seen that there's sort of something else that is as important in their sort of overall goal that requires them to go do something else.
2: Isn't it just like basic diplomacy, like saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to send you guys along with Frodo, but so as to not cultivate any like ill will between our nations. I'm going to, I'm going to allow that you can all leave if you want to. Yeah. It might be a political thing.
0: Yeah. I would like to issue an apology for all of the people that I roasted in the previous episode about not volunteering for the fellowship, because that's not how the fellowship (laughs) was formed.
2: Hey, that's cool we all yeah. thought that was gonna that's that's how it was gonna go but it turns out that Elrond was appointing everybody in fact he appoints yeah. like he just decides to appoint nine people because there's nine ring wraiths, even though as then they later establish the ring wraiths are like not an immediate issue for them yeah um <laughs> can and we even though like one person can't take out one ring wraith, it doesn't really work he, Elrond's <laughs> like I just think this is neat
0: yeah like Pippin is definitely gonna be responsible <laughs> for one ring wraith. <laughs>
1: I mean, arguably, like, Pippin isn't, but Mary does a pretty good job at helping bring down one ring, right? Like, not on yeah, his Mary's own, good. but none of the other fellowship members are there, so. Yeah. Of the I would fellowship, like to, I think he gets credit.
0: I would like to stop equating Mary and Pippin, because it turns out that Mary is the vastly more competent one. <laughs> Even in Elrond's yeah. estimation, where he's like, yeah, Mary can go. Pippin should go back to the Shire. <laughs> <laughs> what what authority yeah. exactly does Elrond have to convene this fellowship, though? Other than the vague implication that he can kind of foresee what might happen. Like, yes, he has convened this council, but it seems very authoritative that he's just like, this is the group of people.
2: Yeah, it doesn't... Like, maybe I think Elrond just happens to be like at the center of it all right Mm -hmm. that um where like he he has known about this for a while because gandalf has presumably been telling him um and everybody else has come to originally came to Rivendell. like the dwarves and the elves from from mirkwood came to rivendell for counsel so there's really no authority that elrond has here in this situation it's just that he happens to be hosting
1: i don't know i mean i think there's sort of that there's that authority in if somebody comes to you for advice and then the advice is, I think you should go like help see the ring thrown into the fires of Mount Doom. That's what I think will help reduce some of the concerns that you're bringing to me. Like there is a, a kind of authority in that, right? That if somebody comes to you for help and Mm -hmm. you say, well, this is what I think you should do. You're more likely to listen to them because you came to them asking for advice in the first place.
0: Yeah, although it's unclear if if a lot of them came asking for advice or if they came trying to
2: find out what the hell's going on. But. I think yeah, I think it was a little column A, a little column B. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so if, it makes sense that like with with no like real with no like real authority here to like delegate anybody to be part of the fellowship. All that Elrond can say is like, here I'm. I think that you'd be the best, but just to be clear, there's nothing binding. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to like bind you to this mission. Yeah,
0: <laughs> this is not. This is not legally binding in a court of law. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, there's no courts. We have. <laughs> we don't have any laws. So, I'm just trying to like hold things together as best I can because we're all like. I mean, because like we saw like in the last two chapters how, despite all having a stake in in Sauron not winning, the care like the different the different civilizations. Um, or like free peoples in Middle Earth are not working together,
0: which which it, it feels like yeah. a twofold problem, right? Like one is that they don't have cell phones, but then the secondary problem is that like there is some amount of don't not phones. talking to other races.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have virtually like no no cooperative like no innate cooperative skills. Yeah,
1: although it's it kind of goes a long way towards
2: explaining why. No, go for it.
1: Oh yeah, uh, what were you going to say? Finish your thought and then I'll cuz mine was a new thought.
2: I don't know what I was going to say.
0: I think what you were going to say is it explains why Elrond chose like different members of different races to form the fellowship
2: because it like because it all kind of hangs together in a more like more solidly that way.
0: Yeah, and it, it almost
2: like forces some amount of communication about what they each know. Because if, you know, if like if Legolas decides to drop out halfway through, then at least he can take information about what's been going on up until that point back to the elves. Mm -hmm. Can
0: we do a brief run through of the fellowship and like figure out why they were selected?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with like their clothes, right? Because of (laughs) how much time Tolkien goes into describing what they're wearing.
1: (laughs) These are the nine snappiest dressers on Middle Earth.
2: (laughs) Why is Tolkien
1: suddenly like a fashionista in this chapter?
2: Yeah, they all they all have like one like fashion skill. Legolas is sh- shoe guy, um, yeah, and Boromir is like cape cape guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, Legolas is like not even wearing shoes because he's like fashionist pain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it hurts too much. Well, Gandalf uh, selected because they're they're basically sending him along to get killed.
0: Also, arguably, a wizard is the most useful person
2: to have. Yeah. Oh, I thought this was like. I, I, I'm sorry. I was I was hoping that this is this is going to be like sarcastic. Why everybody? Cares. Oh, okay. We can
0: we can do a sarcastic version.
2: <laughs> well, now it's ruined because I said that. <laughs> G- Gandalf gets
0: to go because he's dying. It's
1: it's Gandalf's bucket list.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's on Gandalf's bucket list. Gandalf's bucket list is like I must fight one Balrog.
1: Guys, I just yeah, really I really want to fight a Balrog.
0: I want to go skydiving in Moria. (laughs) Oh my god,
1: yeah.
2: (laughs) Gandalf just wants to meet a lot of new people. The ones I can't really
0: wrap my head around is like,
2: why are Legolas and Gimli there? Elrond says the rest of the the company will represent the other free peoples of the world, elves, dwarves, and men. Mm.
0: But why did he pick these particular ones? Like, there were a lot of elves there. Mm-hmm.
1: genuinely, I kind of feel like it's because there's there's definitely, if not beef, then at the very least uh, cultural differences between the Mirkwood elves and the Rivendell elves, right? Like, they're different sort of societies, mm-hmm. and I feel like It's both a political power move to be like, Oh, we're honoring our allies, the Mirkwood elves, by sending the son of their king. And also, Oh my God, like, why would we risk one of our own people when we can just send, like, this tree loving dingus (laughs) instead?
0: (laughs) This idiot. Seriously, Elrond picked what he deemed an expendable elf.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean. Kind of, right? Where it's like, it it can be couched as an honor, but it's also a little bit like, well, he's not one of our really important generals or somebody we would miss if he gets, like, axed on the way to Mordor.
2: That's why Elrond says, like, everybody's free to go if they want to. (laughs) Because it doesn't really matter.
0: I do like it as a political move. Mm -hmm. And then, then I guess,
1: dwarves, like.
0: I mean, the only other dwarf there was Glowin, right?
1: Right. And he's he too
2: old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would Although just take too arguably, long for another dwarf to get there.
1: Though arguably in the two months that they were just sitting around waiting, they That's could true. have gotten another dwarf if they really wanted to.
2: But I get the impression there aren't very many dwarves left. Yeah, how many dwarves are there? It doesn't seem like there's a lot. Like they all, Don't they all live in the Lonely Mountain? Yeah,
0: because the Moria ones are gone.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I guess so Gimli like, is like maybe
2: already expendable. Maybe he was like, he was sent in the first place because he and Glenn were like causing some kind of trouble.
1: <laughs> like, There's some, get these
0: people out of here. <laughs> like,
1: some drama in the Lonely Mountain.
0: I love the idea of the fellowship as just the, the most expendable part of each.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Denethor is sitting there in Gondor being like, I should have sent my other son.
0: That's true. The Boromir does break that theory because it would have been Faramir.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Can we take a moment to appreciate the fact that several times in this chapter, Boromir was just described as having great arms?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Boromir is ripped. Boromir is shredded. Okay? <laughs> Tolkien wants us to know. <laughs> he
0: cleared the the path of the snow with his great arms multiple times.
2: Right. Yeah, so so context if you're not reading along or you can't piece it together from what we're saying. When the ring goes south in this chapter, they have to go over the misty mountains and they end up getting stuck in a snowstorm um that that might have killed them except for Bormir going ballistic on the snow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, it, it was like Tolkien's way of directing us to the gun show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Aragorn might have a gun, uh, but Boromir has guns. <laughs> they were the MVP of this chapter. Were you yeah. like, were you into that?
0: I, I don't know. I've never really been into the whole like extremely ripped dude, but. I think I mean I was still into Boromir, but more in the context of him just being like super aware of how everyone else was feeling. More than more mm. than Gandalf and more than or, more than Aragorn, he was really the only one to be like, "Hey, like the hobbits seem like they're in distress right now. Maybe we should do something." <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, in the middle of a snowstorm. He's not storm. just
1: strong; he's sensitive.
0: <laughs> Ishani <laughs> is so here for Boromir.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really am. I was definitely into Boromir this chapter. Um, Although, I think, like Navia, I was into him more for the reasons of, like, yeah, he's clearly a big buff dude, and that's not normally my type either, but, like, what I liked about it was that all of that sort of strength and all of his heroism was really tuned into, like, the hobbits are gonna freeze to death if we don't do something, or to hey, I have this experience, can I offer some suggestions without assuming that they're going to be taken? Like, let me offer some suggestions so that we can maybe get through this. Or, like, even just offering to carry, like, Merry and Pippin and Frodo and Sam down the mountain. After clearing a path through the snow. So for anybody who has not had a snow shovel and has had to relocate snow... I had to do this once. Uh, A bunch of friends and I went up to the mountains in California on a trip and, uh, got snowed in and one of our cars didn't have four wheel drive. So we had to clear without snow shovels, like several hundred feet of snow to get this car out from the lane of the cabin where we were staying. Oh my God. And so we were moving snow with like garbage bins and it sucked. So like, it's exhausting. To be doing that and then to think about like doing that and then going back and being like, let me carry you down the mountain because I could see that you're really worried you're not going to be able to do this. Let me help. I was like, he's so nice.
0: The men of this world are not the men of our world. (laughs) Get you a man who can clear snow
2: for several hundred feet and then come back and carry you. I think that's like a. I think that's like right. an element of Lord of the Rings. They don't really explore in the movies, right? That like that like men. It, like there's the characters in this book that are called men, um, mm. but they're but they're not necessarily men as we know them. Like yeah. Aragorn's like 90, right? And Boromir appears to be able to like be like a human snowblower. So like there's <laughs> it's possible that like these these people have like anatomy that's different from different from the humans of our age.
0: Right, and and when we say men, we we're referring to the the race of men, which includes the women of this world, right? Because like, right. Eowyn is also clearly a little bit
2: better than us. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Boromir is also he's not going with them. He's not going with them to actually destroy the ring, right?
0: That's kind of unclear, right? This was something I actually wanted to bring up too because. When we when we watch this scene in the movies, there's kind of this undercurrent of the idea that Boromir is going with them, but maybe not in good faith. But I didn't get that sense at all, like reading this chapter. Like, it seemed to me like he was very much just here for the mission.
2: Because he's on his way back to yeah. Minas Tirith, and they're going to go mm. through Minas Tirith. They're going to go through Gondor to get to Mordor.
0: Right. And and Aragorn says something about him being like a good man or something, but yeah.
1: Both parts of that, right? Aragorn sort of says, Oh, well, we should bring Boromir or we should travel with Boromir because he's a valiant man and Darn it, I wanted to see that change in their relationship happen. Um show us John. Uh but also We want he the says, We want the
2: bromance.
1: <laughs> yeah. But also Aragorn says the thing that was interesting was He says, we are going to Gondor, and so we our paths will lie together for some time. Mm -hmm. But it makes it sound like it's really just because they're both sort of heading in roughly the same direction, and not so much that Boromir is planning to go all of the way to Mordor with them. It sounds pretty explicitly like the plan is for Boromir, and maybe even for Aragorn, to stop at gondor and help gondor and not keep going with the hobbits
0: yeah it makes it seem like they have a lot more clear of a path than maybe it comes across later on
2: yeah they're absolutely winging it in this chapter in like a lot of ways well not winging it but like there's there's a lot less like there's a lot less clear cohesion um, in the book, like in the book, as they describe like the fellowship and their progress than there is in the, in the films, especially because like you see in this chapter that Aragorn and Gandalf are fighting about which way to actually go through the mountains. Gandalf is apparently yeah. dead set on them going through Moria and Aragorn's like, yeah, that's a really like bad idea. Um This yeah. was very interesting.
0: I, I don't understand how they set off on this journey, having different ideas about what the journey was going to be. Like, this seems like the kind of thing that really should have been sorted out in Rivendell and not on the side of the mountain in a snowstorm. <laughs> or maybe it was one of those things where they were like, I guess let's just see how it goes. And if my way doesn't work, we'll do your way.
2: Yeah, that's what they decided. They were like, um, they were like, okay, well, we're going to try it. We're going to try Aragorn's recommendation, which is to go through the passive of thrust. And then if that doesn't work out, see, so yeah, I tried it right there. And it I like okay. your commitment
0: to the DH. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> Good job.
2: <laughs> um, I did it. Um, and if it doesn't work out, then we're going to go through Moria, which is Gandalf's suggestion. Gandalf's yeah. um Gandalf's heavy heavy desire to go into Moria for some reason.
1: Yeah, I got the sense a couple of times in this chapter that Gandalf might either have some sort of like prescience about what's coming up or some like pull that is telling him the way things are going to go, because what Wanda and I were talking about before we started recording was there's a bit where Gandalf has this really cryptic statement about going to the end. Um, and he it kind of makes it sound like he's anticipating that the fellowship will split up at some point. Um, yeah, it's,
0: it's interesting that, you like, bring
1: something is going to happen.
0: It's interesting you bring that up because there's also a moment before they leave when Elrond actually says something about how this will be Gandalf's great task and maybe his final task. And you kind of get the sense that Elrond has some amount of ability to see into the future because he he does say something about how he can't quite see this path or he can't quite see what's going to happen on this journey. But you do get the sense that he can occasionally see what's going to happen in some future. So I... It does beg the question, Like, does he know, maybe? Does Gandalf know that maybe his great task is what he's about to do in Moria and he needs his path to go there?
1: Right. We don't get any sense of whether or not Gandalf has the same kind of dreams as we saw the hobbits having in earlier chapters, but I wouldn't be surprised where if that was something that was happening, his response might be, hey, I know I'm going to end up in Moria one way or the other, so... Like, we might as well just go through there because I know that we're going to have to at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, maybe he knows that, like, in a way their mission kind of hinges on this, right? Because eventually the story will hinge upon him becoming Gandalf the White. The thing that lends more credibility to this theory, too, is that we actually know already that they know that the Balrog is in Moria because it has come up previously when Glowin slash Glowin slash whatever you want to call it, uh, he brings up, like, you know, what happened to Balin when they went into Moria, and somebody, I think it's either Gandalf or Elrond, brings up that they awoke, the like, something, they dug too deep and they awoke some beast in the depths, right? So they're not unaware that Moria is dangerous. So it's even more like, why does Gandalf want to go there?
2: I was having the same thought. I was like, it, because Gandalf says, "Like, no, it's, it's probably going to be fine. There might be orcs, but I think that all of the orcs from the Misty Mountains were slain during the Battle of the Five Armies." Um, except that can't be true on account of how they just talked about Balin and his his company yeah. being like completely destroyed in Moria. Or when so they, tried they think, to go right? There. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know.
0: It's a it's a weird idea for Gandalf to be pushing on. Especially since they don't even know in this context whether, like, this storm is being caused by Saruman.
2: Yeah, it's quite unclear, actually, whether the Fellowship absolutely has to go back, like, has to go back because of the storm, or if the storm is just, like, a big inconvenience, and Gandalf's desire to go into Moria tips the scales for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does... It's one of those things where I understand why they felt like they wanted to wait for scouts to go out and come back. And then I also sit there and go, you were less likely to have this problem if you hadn't waited for winter to decide to take them out and pass. Like they had two months that they waited in Rivendell. And there's a part of me that says maybe given the urgency of this, like there's an argument to be made in favor of waiting and getting more information, but it also kind of felt like, man, there was an argument to be made in favor of just going as quickly as possible to get the good weather. If you know that there's a big mountain range between you and where you're trying to go.
0: Yeah. Actually, like Wanda, can you, as our episode master, can you give us a little bit of a uh, background about these scouts? Cause this was a very interesting part of this chapter to me.
2: Right. Right. Well, correct me if I correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, but Elrond sends out his two sons as well as I think Aragorn goes out as a scout And then there's a few other people that also go out as scouts at the beginning of the chapter just to just to see whether um, there are spies from Sauron around in the area, um, including but not limited to the ringwraiths and Mm -hmm. different birds and beasts that might be about um, scouting on on Sauron's behalf. They eventually come back and they say the coast is clear. Um, As clear as it can be. As clear as it can be. And and it appears that the ring wraiths have been completely scattered, so they're not going to pose a threat any, like any time soon. What was yes. the like that? That's that's what I understood. What was what were you going to bring up about that though? Well, the interesting thing about this to
0: me was how just the sheer amount of time that passes between their decision to destroy the ring and their decision for Frodo to take it to the point where the Fellowship actually comes together and leaves on this journey. Um. They spend a lot of time just waiting for these scouts to come back. And to me, it, like kind of like what Ashani was saying, it seems like a giant waste of time. In fact, they even bring up several times like how unfortunate it is that they sh- might have to leave in winter because of how dangerous that is. And I'm kind of just like, why are you waiting? Because whether the wraiths are there now or not, it seems highly likely that they're gonna come back at some point because we know that they're not gonna be dead, right? From whatever happened. Yeah. So, what is the point of of waiting until we know whether they're, like, right on the border of Rivendell or not? It seems like you should just plan around them anyway.
1: Especially when they have really explicitly stated multiple times that the whole reason they're picking such a small group is that they're trying to be stealthy about it, right? They're trying to sneak past that if there were armies waiting for them, they're not looking to do some sort of head-on confrontation, they're looking to just sort of quietly get to where they're going. And Mm -hmm. that to me doesn't seem like something that You know, when you're sending out scouts, you're looking for things like are there sort of big forces amassing? Because any single rider on his own would be pretty easy to miss, right? Like, you're not necessarily going to find that just with one scout. Plus, on top of that, I'm like, they already have a scout in their party. If they needed to do sort of short-term what's coming up ahead... Like, Legolas demonstrates in this chapter that he is the ideal scout because he can run over snow and other kinds of weird terrain without any (laughs) issues. I'm like, send Legolas ahead every day, like, to do some scouting, and then you know what's ahead of you. You've got most of the heavy hitters still Uh, in the main party. Like, come on, guys. The heavy hitters.
2: (laughs) Wait, who are we counting as the heavy hitters in the fellowship?
1: Uh, Everyone except for Frodo, Merry, and Pippin. I think Sam is lethal with a frying pan.
0: (laughs) But also not not to harp not to harp on this point, but like send the eagles for God's sake! (laughs) (laughs) Like the eagles are already participating in the scouting mission. Why aren't they just doing all of it? They can fly. (laughs)
1: Like. Yeah, that's true. The Eagles do explicitly say, like, we are here to be scouts, not yeah. like, not generally to move and they even, people. But they're on like, the lookout okay, for scouts. Gollum,
0: right? They're, they're participating in this party of scouting. I just, I can't fathom how you would have something as useful as the Eagles on your side and continue to not use them in the ways they can be used. And not, look, when I say used, that, that's maybe the wrong term. They are obviously well aware and they they can decide whether they want to participate or not but like
2: what is this the eagles must have something else going on in their lives that makes them too busy to take this on
0: we even get in this chapter the enemy using other birds as scouts use the eagles
1: <laughs> yeah it is I mean it's one of those things where from a sort of tactical or strategic standpoint, it's hard not to look at everything that goes wrong in this chapter and kind of say, like, you could have you could have avoided that, right? And the reasons you had for delaying yeah. are not good reasons, given the strategy that you had already set out in your mind as what you were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Grumble, 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 you- grumble, grumble. <laughs> grumble.
2: Do you guys think that like Boromir on an eagle would have been like a better a better like choice for getting the ring to Mordor? Not Boromir specifically.
0: Because Boromir would have just taken the eagle to contour with the ring. But maybe like Aragorn. Frodo on an eagle. Frodo on an eagle. Sam on an eagle. Arguably Sam on an eagle would have been better. (laughs) It's
1: true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Guys, Sam's packing list in this chapter is so cute. Yeah. It's just like, I'm taking salt for all the cooking I need to do.
1: Which, I mean, look, if I was going on a trip, I would want a buddy like Sam coming along on that trip.
0: Side note, so it's mentioned in this chapter several times, well... Maybe not several, but it's mentioned in this chapter that Sam takes a lot of cooking ingredients, which uh, led to Sean Aston having to carry pots and pans for the entirety of the series, which was apparently just the biggest pain because he just had a way heavier backpack than anyone else.
2: Yeah. That's not, like, the, they they didn't really have to do that. That seems like a kind of vindictive choice on the part of the people that were making the movies. God, I feel, like, <laughs> so stupid, like, getting into this conversation, like, this, like, debate over Sean Astin carrying pots and pans. <laughs>
0: they do talk about it a lot, though, on the commentaries.
1: But I will say, when Sam was talking about, like, bringing seasoning for food, I was just like, yeah, that would be me packing, because... I am absolutely about maintaining as many of those creature comforts as possible.
2: Yeah. That's the only spice they have, too. Salt? They just have salt. Well, they're all white, so... Yeah. I tried to... <laughs> I tried to, like... Yeah. <laughs> when I was, like... When I was in college one time, I tried to make... I tried to make food um using only recipes from, like, an, an old English cookbook. Oh, no. And it was, like, I was... Yeah, it was all stuff like, um, like, uh, bread in milk, fish in milk, uh, like French toast where, like, you boil, like, you boil, like, just like a wet piece of bread in water, um, which didn't work out because it just, like, exploded. But I had to, like, like, the only, the only spice available was salt, which I hadn't, like, I just, I really hadn't counted on when I opened this thing up. That's all they had. Oh, that's, that's um, so
0: unfortunate yeah have you seen that meme i don't know i find
2: like the
0: sorry i was just gonna say have you seen that meme that where it's like britain invaded half the world for their spices and still have the blandest food
2: it's true yeah yeah they've it's everything they have is is like mushy mushy this mushy that (laughs) bad food bad all around i don't know it's sort of the only way to go on a quest though You can't take that much. Otherwise, you would have been loading down Bill the Pony with spices and treats and dehydrated foods.
0: Quick shout-out to Bill the Pony, the unofficial member of the fellowship.
2: Right? (laughs) Yeah, who, like... Yeah, where, like, Sam's like, we have to take him because he told me that he wanted to go. And Bill is just like, shut the fuck up! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the horse
1: Guys, I have a... A real deep theory here for a minute. Okay. The reason why a member of the Fellowship has to die is Elrond is like, nine need to go on this journey, right? hmm mm-hmm. And they're representing the Free Peoples, but they have two men. So they've got an extra, right? But they yeah. also have Bill the Pony, so they're actually a count of ten. So they had one too many, and the universe was like, "No, you can't do that. We're gonna kill off the extra dude," so that they were nine again.
2: Right, and Bill was, or Bill was supposed to represent the race of horses. Yeah, I I I hate to do this to your beautiful
1: theory.
0: Yeah, I hate to do this to your wonderful theory, but Bill the pony is about to get sent back, like at the entrance to Moria. So
1: I don't care. (laughs) Still <laughs> which is well before
0: Boromir gets axed. So
1: no, but it doesn't matter. It's about cuz the thing is it's not like all nine of them stayed together.
0: Right. That's true. Once a member, always a member of the fellowship, right?
2: Yeah. It'd be cool if they all got tatted before they left uh, on on the like the trip in this chapter.
0: You you know the cast actually did, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exce- it would have been like, a cool for... thing to like incorporated into the movie or into the into like the actual into actual story the only person
0: yeah the only person who didn't get tatted was uh John Rhys-Davies who plays Gimli
2: yeah you gotta preserve that body for the other work he does (laughs) his stunt
0: double got tatted instead (laughs) (laughs) love it also uh speaking of casting choices I would like to bring up um something that's been suddenly coming back up a lot in in social media that I've seen which is just to let everyone know, apparently Nicholas Cage was supposed to be Aragorn.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, when you say like supposed to be, like that was that was their first choice? I believe so.
1: Huh. I love. I love that. Like. Three episodes, two episodes later, whatever it is, Nick Cage yeah, after, comes like, back into our Lord of the Rings podcast <laughs> in this incredibly unexpected way.
0: Liv Tyler was just like, "I am going to put my foot down about this."
2: Yeah, maybe she shut it down. I feel like Liv Tyler as Arwen and Nicholas Cage as Aragorn would have like taken the movie to like a really different spot. Yeah. Okay, just a quick quick time check here. We're at No, thanks for time checking us. I was about to say we should wrap it up.
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: Especially since Shani wanted to cut out at four. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that yeah, that concludes it. I'll find some like cute way to wrap this up in in the editing process. (laughs) Unless anybody has any like sick jokes they want to like lay on us before we go. Oh, I did wanna say that in your notes in your notes, Navia, you have you say is the the lay of Baron and Luthien. Are we talking about them getting laid?
0: Yeah, wait, no. what is,
2: what does it mean? Why does he always no, it's refer it's it like, to it's, the lay? It's a
1: song, or a poem. A lay is a song. <laughs> wow, I apologize. It's <laughs> like the barrow thing all over again.
2: It's not like what? the fucking of Baron and Luthien.
0: There's so, there's apparently many phrases that I'm just completely unaware of, but I one hundred percent thought that the lay of Baron and Luthien was referring to Baron laying Luthien. <laughs> so...
2: Baron, Baron laying Luthien like down by the down by the fireside.
0: No, like Luthien
2: getting laid <laughs> like by Baron. Baron bearing down on Luthien. Exactly. Baron the bear. Oh yeah. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to One
0: Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Wanda. You can find us on Twitter at odnspod and Tumblr at one does not simply pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, Nishant, and all our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever pla- Blah. Close, So close. <laughs> if you like what you hear, give us a rating or review on whatever platform you listen to.